This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The field of emergency management is at a pivotal moment. We are seeing tremendous change in the landscape of risk, and federal agencies like the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, recognizes the need to build an agency that is responsive, nimble, and adaptive. While its mission of helping people before, during, and after disasters has not changed, its operating environment has. What role does FEMA's Mission Support Office play in the agency? How does it help the agency improve its performance? And how does FEMA plan for the next disaster? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Eric Leckie, Associate Administrator for Mission Support at FEMA. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Michael, thanks for having me. So Eric, what is the mission of the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, as we popularly know it, and its Office of Mission Support? Well, FEMA has a tremendous mission. Uh, It is to help people before during and after disasters. Uh, and I know that covers a lot. I think there uh, are a few missions out there that that touch people uh, more in their time of need. It's, it's really an honorable mission. Within FEMA, mission support uh, is here to deliver customer-focused solutions, empower employees, and enable mission success as a trusted partner. Uh, and this mission does reflect where mission support stands Uh, and strengthens uh, our core business functions by enhancing the customer experience and pursuing business excellence uh, and advancing the agency mission overall. So, Eric, how is mission support organized? And and more importantly, what are your specific duties and responsibilities as the associate administrator for mission support at FEMA? Yeah, thanks. Um, So uh, we are the management administration office within FEMA. Uh, We include all of the traditional management administration functions, with the exception uh, of our chief financial officer. Uh, They're not part of uh, the mission support organization, but they do provide uh, tremendous value and service to the agency. Uh, Along with my deputy, uh, I lead a 16-member career senior executive service team leading uh, an overall organization of about 1,500 full-time mission support professionals and an additional 630 part-time mission support disaster cadre reservists. And together, we all lead in delivering about a half billion dollar program of requirements cutting across areas such as administration and real property services, information technology and cybersecurity, procurement and acquisitions, security, human capital, and so on. This is what we refer to uh, as the backbone of the agency, enabling the mission. I also serve concurrently as as FEMA's component acquisition executive, uh, and I'm responsible for the oversight of FEMA's acquisition programs. This includes, you know, uh, governance and oversight of about 50 acquisition programs, 
totaling about $20 billion. So, so, so a big portfolio. I serve as the leader of the organization. Uh, I work with a great crew of people in delivering our piece of, of successionally executing uh, the FEMA mission. Wow, that is a huge portfolio. Um, very big responsibility. So it's got to be challenging on some level. So I was wondering, Eric, what are your top, say, I don't know, some, some of your management challenges that you face? Um, and how have you sought to address those challenges? Yeah, so, you know, at FEMA, uh, we are in the consequence management business. Uh, and so there's never a shortage uh, of challenges. I view them all as opportunities in pursuit of our mission overall. One of the things that I constantly have my eye on, and I know that my my leadership team and our broader team does as well, is ensuring that we have a ready workforce. Recruitment and retention is a big piece of that. Uh, Maintaining a workforce that is ready uh, and trained and exercised and able to execute the mission is absolutely critical. Uh, Part of the awesomeness, if I can use that word of our mission, comes with this particular commitment. Helping people before, during, and after disasters uh, is not on any schedule. It doesn't follow a business day. It requires a lot of our workforce and from their support system outside of the office. And so that's one of the opportunity challenges that we constantly are working towards and I think doing a great job at at getting after. Uh, Related to that as well is, is our employee resilience. Preparing and training our workforce to care for themselves and each other is critical. We've done a lot of work in the mental health and medical space here at the agency to support our workforce, uh, and I think we've seen the value from that. Another that I'll add here is the speed and evolving nature of IT, of technology, uh, things like generative AI and so on. It is always growing. It is always evolving and sifting through it all really does require a lot of effort uh, and a lot of focus, particularly on its application to our mission, to ensure that what we acquire really does meet our requirements as an agency. Some really interesting things being 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 done there at FEMA under your auspices, but you, you must have been surprised about the role when you took it over. What really surprised you most as leader of mission support within FEMA? Yeah, and so I I think that, you know, there's many things we can plan and prepare for in the emergency management line of business, those things that I refer to as the known, those things that we we plan for, we prepare for, we exercise. Um, Our training and our experience tells us uh, we have to be prepared for anything, uh, including the unknown uh, and being prepared for surprises. We have to be fluid we have to be flexible, we have to be prepared to be surprised, but to maintain our our composure and our discipline of of thought and action. And I think a piece of that is being open to and, and willing to accept the growth of our mission space here at the agency. I've been at FEMA since 2011, Uh, an executive since 2016, and in the mission support space since 2019. And FEMA's mission really has evolved. I know historically it has been uh, uh, natural disasters and and a focus therein, uh, but it's no longer just hurricanes and tornadoes. It's it's all hazards. It's it's man-made. It's natural. Uh, It was a lead role 
during the pandemic. And so uh, as opposed to being surprised about all of that, I think it's important for us to be fluid and flexible uh, so that we can serve uh, the American people in, in whatever it is that comes our way. Eric, you mentioned you'd been with the uh, department since 2011. Would you tell us more about your career path, your background, and 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 sort of how did you get to FEMA, and why did you want to continue with the SES? Great question. Uh, born and raised in a rural farming community in Ohio, graduated from Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, in in 2002, which was right after 9/11. Uh, I started my career in Homeland Security right after graduation uh, in what was the Office of Homeland Security then at the White House. Uh, spent a number of years there before transitioning over to the Department of Homeland Security, uh, where I worked in the Office of, of the Secretary of Homeland Security for a number of years. Uh, and then spent some time in the private sector, getting that outside perspective and that partnering uh, with, with government perspective from the outside, but but always with the department as my primary client. I've been at FEMA since 2011. My first senior executive service assignment was in 2016 and focused on the business administrative services of the agency at that time. I became deputy associate administrator for mission support in 2019. That's where I got into a more senior leader cross-cutting disciplinary role uh, in all of those functions I mentioned earlier, human capital, IT, security, procurement, uh, administrative services, and so on. Uh, And I've been the associate administrator here leading that portfolio with a great team since August of 2002. Mm, That's terrific. So how do you lead, Eric? What are the characteristics that make one an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with the audience some of the leadership principles you follow. So I am one of those who who like to lead from the front, but I am a collaborative leader. Um, The power of many versus the power of one, uh, I think, is enormously important in the work that we do. Uh, I like to empower and support my executive leaders and their teams. No one can do a better job than they can at what it is that they do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of clearing obstacles, resourcing, and putting them in the path to success. I'm a coalition builder. Uh, Again, in our mission space, be it that of mission support within FEMA or the FEMA mission overall, it's all about partnerships and problem solving. I started out pursuing uh, a life as different as possible from the one I grew up with, while at the same time taking with me those values and those traits and those characteristics learned uh, from my upbringing. As a public servant, I am now and always have been driven by impact. Um, The bottom line uh, less motivated me over time. It really is that that public impact. Uh, And I'm interested in in how I can do the most public good, make the biggest public impact. Part of my leadership style includes making government more efficient and more effective and serving the people. Um, That's what we're here to do. Uh, And in many cases, uh, after what has been a very dark day. And so we've got to bring our best in doing that. I like to listen to people, collaborate, problem solve, consider my own background and experience, and then I combine all of these things to get to a decision about the right thing to do for the right reasons. Uh, But I do have a tremendous bias for action. Processes are important because they keep us disciplined, but I'm about the outcome. What are the strategic priorities for FEMA's Mission Support Office? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. 
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Eric Lecky, Associate Administrator for Mission Support at FEMA. So, you know, switching gears, talking about outcomes, you kind of need a strategy and a, and a vision um, to think about. So I was wondering if you could outline for us your strategic vision for FEMA's mission support, and what are some of your key priorities to date? Yeah, so um, the, the key here is, is to advance the mission outcomes through comprehensive and, and innovative solutions. Um, and for us, that has taken a, a new turn and a new twist over time. We must empower a ready and engaged workforce. Uh, we have to bring a lot to any opportunity or any challenge by way of our workforce. We're delivering here on those core business functions that I mentioned earlier, IT, human capital, security, administrative services, procurement and acquisitions, and so on, with a very keen focus on the customer. We're here to deliver and support the customer in pursuit of uh, the FEMA mission. And we have to do that in a connected and comprehensive way. And I think our executive team and our broader team here has done a very good job in making that shift and that transition over the last couple of years. Um, We certainly found during COVID and in the years since that it really does take a team. It really does take a team. It takes partnerships. uh, And it takes all of us working together in that power of many versus power of one to deliver on our products and services to the rest of the agency. I think that's going well. Uh, I think that shift was well-timed for us. Uh, And I think this new focus on customer experience is putting us in a place where we've got that active relationship with our customer base that we're we're better able to meet them uh, exactly where they are uh, and help them solve the problems that they're dealing with uh, where we can contribute the most. That's a terrific point. So earlier, Eric, you mentioned that during your tenure at FEMA, the the, the mission has evolved beyond what well, maybe emergent uh, events. And I was wondering, could you tell us more about the all hazards approach to emergency management that FEMA pursues? Yeah, all hazards preparedness really does ensure that, you know, if a disaster occurs, uh, people are ready to get through it safely 
uh, and respond to it effectively. FEMA began the development of the integrated emergency management system with, with this all hazards approach some time ago. We understand that each community may face more than one type of, a, of, of an event in any given period. We're always uh, at risk in key areas of, of key uh, natural disasters that can be cyclical that we see often, uh, but we also recognize that that could be coupled at any given time with an infrastructure attack or a cyber attack or a transportation issue, and all of that uh, has to be taken into considerations when we're under this all-hazards planning approach. We've got to be prepared for whatever may come our way, uh, even that which maybe perhaps we hadn't spent as much time planning for historically. We've got a, a very good integrated public alert and warning system, what we refer to here uh, as IPAWS, to alert the public of any impending natural or, or human disasters, along with emergency and public safety information. Um, they're there to be used by the senior most leaders of our government and FEMA we need to be prepared for many different kinds of disasters, natural, uh, like hurricanes, man-made, like cyber attacks. Regardless of the type of disaster, we've got tools, we've got procedures, programs, and staff to help survivors address those particular needs. Eric, disasters are occurring throughout the year. You know, we're seeing rather large ones during typical disaster seasons from, say, June 1st to November 30th. I'm wondering, with the cycle being, you know, ever expanding, how is FEMA prepared to respond to emergencies throughout the year? And how does mission support help the agency anticipate the unpredictability of emergency response events? Well, uh, FEMA employees are, are are constantly training throughout the year to ensure that that they have the skills and and utilize the resources needed to respond to whatever may come our way. I think that part of what I mentioned earlier applies here as well. It's being prepared for the unpredictable, being prepared for the unplanned. You know, uh, there's no longer just a static disaster season like that, which we perhaps used to. Uh, experience. Today, disaster season can, e even on the natural front, can be many months out of the year, far beyond that which we used to experience. But with risks of other uh, man-made events, national security issues, conflicts overseas, pandemics, it's definitely a year around business and around the clock business. We prepare for that. We prepare uh, our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners with that training and, and regular employee and partner communication. Uh, help us stay prepared, help our partners stay prepared, and, and be ready for those response efforts during more than just a traditional hurricane season or a traditional snow season or a traditional wildfire season, because we're seeing more types of events across the entirety of the year. Mission support is the agency's lead enabling function. Uh, we lean forward in all of our programs and our products and our services to support response efforts and ensure we're synced up with our partners in both response and recovery, as, as well as our resilience organization, and we can pivot very quickly where needed. Uh, and this includes things like disaster contracting, 
uh, local hiring after a, a major disaster where we have to bring on new staff in a very short period of time, ensuring that our IT systems can be stood up in a very quick fashion, short notice, and, and that we're prepared to pivot uh, again, should we see more than one event at any given time. But it, it requires a significant amount of fluidity and flexibility and management of priorities to make sure that we're focused on where we're needed most. That's terrific. And you, you mentioned earlier your, your procurement portfolio, and I wonder if we could turn to the procurement strategy for, for FEMA and, and its ability to support resourcing across the uh, emergency management enterprise. How does it leverage the combination of approaches from establishing advanced disaster contracts, stockpiling of supplies, buy-on-demand options, so you could better position the agency when an event happens? And how challenging is that, Eric? Well, uh, you you know, there's always work to be done there. And we've been blessed for a number of years uh, with tremendous leadership in our procurement and acquisition space. But but it takes just that amount of effort and planning that you referred to, ensuring that that we are at all times uh, prepared with our contracts and in particular our disaster contracts. That we've got a tight network between uh, our contracting organization and our logistics organization to make sure that our warehouses are stocked uh, and prepared for whatever may come our way, and then also a tight relationship with our Office of Response and Recovery, those who at any given time and on very short notice need to acquire products or services to get after uh, a response. Even those that we know are coming like hurricanes takes a great deal of effort in the in the contracting space to get after and stay ahead of that. And then there's the long-term recovery after any significant event. And there's a very tight relationship there as well between our contracting professionals uh, and, and our operators. Probably to no surprise, FEMA conducts our procurement process in large part no differently from, from any other executive agency. Uh, in compliance with the federal acquisition regulation and agency regulations and, and our policies. Uh, I think the only difference from other executive agency is that FEMA is is also subject to the Stafford Act, the what the the formal name, uh, the Robert uh, T. Stafford Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act, what we refer to as as the Stafford Act here. And FEMA executes many advanced contracts supporting a number of mission essential areas uh, across the agency. Historical data allows FEMA to know those capabilities that serve as as the staples to to a locality, things such as food, water, shelter, power, communications, longer-term lodging, hazmat management, and so on. FEMA has advanced contracts in place to, to acquire those goods and services. But because of the disaster response tempo, FEMA executes uh, that, that procurement process on a 24-hour-a-day cycle in preparation and during our emergencies and disasters. A big part uh, that I mentioned earlier of what FEMA brings to the table is our people, but another big part is our ability to buy and move commodities and resources. And our procurement office remains available to solicit requirements and awards contracts at any moment day or night and and that's not just a sound bite that's something that we see with every disaster cycle and and every disaster season 
Our procurement function is also embedded with our, our National Response Coordination Center here at headquarters and our regional response uh, coordination centers broken out across all 10 regions. And they're prepared to deliver on those goods and services in real time. And that's a key part of what's needed for our mission. You know, the other thing I wanted to talk about was IT and, and how critical IT systems play in supporting FEMA's uh, mission and response and recovery efforts. What are you doing to pursue and enhance FEMA's IT infrastructure? What are some of the key challenges to doing that? So enhancing and maintaining our, our IT infrastructure really does mean establishing and, and maintaining uh, a strong and resilient cybersecurity posture. Looking at today's threat landscape and, and any potential impacts to recovery operations, we're, we're looking beyond just traditional IT infrastructure. I think what that means for our CIO uh, and his leadership team as, as they expertly lead us as an agency through uh, sort of the design, the architecture, and the implementation of a good, stable, secure IT infrastructure and, and IT network means that they've got to be on the cutting edge, right out there on the edge of technology and what is on the market and what is available to help us get to where we need to go and to deliver for disaster survivors and maintain connectivity in what can be very disturbing environments when you think about the FEMA mission. Following major disasters where we go into a community and there's no power, there's no network or infrastructure, they very clearly work with our partners around the agency to establish that. To any event that would impact continuity, uh, they have to make sure that that our network and our capability can proceed through that. So it's more than just steady state work. It's more than what you might just require of a CIO at another federal department and agency who doesn't have that need to be prepared, that need to be resilient, that need to be on the, the forward leaning, leaning edge uh, following an event. Our enterprise perimeter is, is moving to the cloud and we believe is, is more stable and, and more protected. But obviously that's something that, that you've got to stay on top of. And you've got to remember the people part of this as well. We've started deploying cybersecurity advisors and, and IT technicians to disaster response areas to protect that extended infrastructure that I talk about and be ready to work with the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, another component partner of ours within the Department of Homeland Security, but also others uh, in the state, local, tribal, territorial level to assist them in identifying and detecting and protecting and responding and recovering from any issues that may come our way uh, as a result of, of a cyber issue. And, and one of the largest challenges in this area really is the ever changing landscape of technology as a whole. But by utilizing our business partners and an extremely talented series of leaders and staff, uh, we've been able to pivot quickly and, and adapt to improve our systems to match this tempo. Yeah, that's terrific. You mentioned the people in your last response, and I, I think you could have all the resources you need pre-positioned in anticipation of an event. You could have the infrastructure, IT infrastructure that you need but unless you have the right people with the right training at the right place, it's going to be tough. So I'd like to transition 
to what FEMA is doing to enhance the way it recruits, hires, trains, and retains a quality workforce, how much more difficult, Eric, is it to do human capital work in the disaster relief emergency responder discipline than it is to do in your typical federal agency? I think the answer is probably in the essence of your question. And I will say that that is a a tremendous opportunity for us here at FEMA. And it is different. You're absolutely right. It is different than pick your other federal agency that you could go up the street and apply to and and work at. Um, It's a little bit of a calling. It really is a little bit of a calling. And it requires a great deal of focus and a great deal of attention in both strategically planning to recruit and hire and train a workforce and retain it, quite frankly. That's just as critical as it is to train and exercise and prepare for implementation. So we've done a lot of work in this area. We've advocated for for changes to federal laws and, and have had a great deal of success with that to help us support our workforce through their careers. Uh, A little over a year ago, for example, the Civilian Reservist Emergency Workforce Act uh, was signed into law, and that amended uh, what has historically been uh, the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, USERA, um, to protect the full-time employment of our intermittent workforce. And so what that means and how that breaks down is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, FEMA has a tremendous reservist workforce a big piece of what we rely on in any response operation or long-term recovery operation. Uh, and with, with the passage and, and signing of this particular law last September, uh, it allowed those who come to work for us on an intermittent basis as FEMA reservists to have that protection to their full-time employment uh, back home. That's historically been a, a, a DOD model, but it's one that we employ here. Uh, and I think that what we're seeing more and more are that those reservist employees take advantage of these protections. It helps us recruit, it helps us retain, which means they can hold on to another full-time job and to deploy with FEMA for training and disaster recovery uh, and not have to worry about uh, what's happening uh, in their day job. And so so we continue to look at opportunities like that. We continue to work on uh, strategies such as that. We put a lot of focus on a both strategic recruitment as well as strategic retention plan um, that allows us to get out into colleges and universities, but other disciplines and other partner spaces where we think there's target-rich environments Uh, for future FEMA employees to give them the opportunity to serve people uh, in their time of need, uh, but while also affording them with an opportunity and a job uh, that really does allow them uh, to stay uh, incredibly focused on the work work it is uh, that we do here and how we do it to enrich both their lives, but also those who who might be suffering for a disaster. And so for many, many years, uh, FEMA advocated for our employees who are appointed under the Stafford Act that I mentioned earlier to be considered under competitive merit promotion procedures uh, for our permanent full-time positions. Uh, That was another thing uh, in modern times that we got passed Uh, and signed in 2017 when Congress passed the Disaster Recovery and Reform Act. And again, that afforded the opportunity to our existing and capable and dedicated Stafford Act employees 
uh, to transition from temporary to permanent full-time positions. So there's a lot of both strategic as well as tactical things that we're doing. Uh, another thing that we've really spent a lot of time doing uh, when I mentioned our, our focus on colleges and universities uh, earlier was also uh, actively working on a targeted outreach strategy and establishing key partnerships uh, with with centers of excellence uh, to continue to uh, build a workforce that we think uh, establishes diverse talent pipelines into the agency. You know, Eric, I, I had a follow on. I'm wondering, maybe you already talked about it, but you know, with the explosion of like AI automation and, and other technical sc- skills. I'm sure you're applying these in your efforts to respond to emergent events. How does the explosion of these skills kind of impact the way FEMA is able to hire and retain employees? So that's a great question. You know, there's a lot of new and innovative technology, and certainly the onset of AI has has presented itself with a number of opportunities here, both in our forward-leaning mission delivery space Uh, but also in the area that we lead here in mission support, which is enabling success of the mission through our workforce and so on. There's a number of of, of projects that we have underway right now in partnership with the department um, to allow us to think through that which really does require human intervention, human engagement, and human delivery versus that which can be automated or subject to other new technology uh, and innovation to perhaps streamline those functions, bring efficiencies to those functions, uh, reduce duplication and overlap, uh, and frankly, make make a dollar go farther. And so we, we too are taking advantage of those. We see some opportunities from a management administration perspective. We certainly see some opportunities uh, in our human capital and human capital processing space and our procurement uh, and and acquisitions processing space, some of our other organizations where where we have administrative processes, we see opportunities there, but we also see them uh, in our our mission delivery space, be it individual assistance and the processes associated with delivering aid directly to um, disaster survivors after they apply online to disaster assistance, but also in our our resilience space where we're thinking about events pre-boom, if you will, uh, and the work that we do in in helping communities become more resilient in implementing our mitigation projects on the ground. There's any number of projects that, that quite frankly, would lend itself to this new wave of technology. And Michael, uh, a year from now, this conversation, we could have it the same way and there'll be a whole new list I think it's evolving that fast. The application is certainly there. That's a wonderful response. And, and I think you nail it, Eric, with that underscoring of the fact that this is, this is continually evolving and uh, we need to be adaptive. Um, so I had another question before we, we close on this section, but what is being done, Eric, to foster a collaborative work environment? Well, also, and this is really important, while also ensuring the agency has what it needs in pursuit of a mission-centric mobility. And what are some of the key obstacles faced in this area? You know, this this idea of, of 
you know, fostering a collaborative work environment, ensuring that we have what we need to be mission centric is is really it's critical. Our work requires us to collaborate with people across the country. Period. That is a big part of what FEMA and what emergency managers bring to the table. We convene. We convene. We bring people to the table. We have conversations. We solve problems. And technology really helps us condense that space. Online collaboration tools make it easier to see one another, to brainstorm together, to work on shared documents and problems and challenges. No questions asked. Uh, Not only does that help us uh, internally to communicate and to coordinate and to integrate and to problem solve, but it also helps us work with our external partners as well. But we don't want technology to replace that valuable in-person interaction and connection. We want to leverage it to keep communications open when in-person collaboration simply isn't an option. We saw that a lot during the pandemic and and the lead and the follow-up to the pandemic. Uh, We also see that as we are in the run-up to many of our, our very large natural disasters. Uh, We're able to stay connected and integrate and to coordinate while that event is unfolding and pre-position and be ready so that when the storm or the event passes, we're we're there. But FEMA really does place a primacy. And I think this is what makes, I think this is what makes our mission and what we do a little bit different. We, We see tremendous value in coming together. We see tremendous value in in getting in a room and solving a problem. Uh, We also do that, as I mentioned earlier, by by convening audiences to sort through uh, our issues. And so that's part of what makes this a calling is that not not 100% of what we do, 100% of the time, lends itself to remote work environment. Rather, we look at this like focusing on the work that you do, not necessarily... Uh, where you do it. And so uh, that allows us the flexibility we need. We're a hybrid environment. We're a true hybrid environment. We're not We're not mostly in the office, but we're not mostly at home. We kind of walk that fine line between being where we need to be to perform our work. How does FEMA plan for the next disaster? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org.
Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Eric Leckie, Associate Administrator for Mission Support at FEMA. Eric, there's a concept in disaster and emergency response called the whole community approach. Would you tell us more about this approach and how FEMA works to build stronger ties with other federal agencies and private sector partners? So the whole of community really is just that, the entire community, including the individual, the local businesses, faith-based and community organizations, nonprofits, schools and universities, media, uh, our state, local, tribal, territorial, and other federal partners coming together to achieve a goal. Ideally, that starts in the resilient space pre-boom, uh, but it's also critical that we're together through an event and and beyond an event, post-boom and, and long-term recovery. But it takes it takes everyone to make it happen. Uh, no one entity, no one person is going to deliver on that all on their own. Over the years, FEMA has developed a series of, of programs to help us foster these partnerships. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but it's about establishing relationships, Michael. It's about knowing who your partners are and investing in those partners before you need them. Um, there certainly are times when you meet and work with people as an event is unfolding and you're working a response or a recovery, but ideally that connective tissue is established pre-boom. Uh, a couple of things that that we have focused on, one more recent um, program that, that Administrator Criswell uh, established is our Emergency Manager uh, Exchange Program. This brings state, local, tribal, territorial emergency managers and other government officials to our headquarters or regional office uh, to work with FEMA leadership on the development, implementation of policies, maybe a project, but it opens up those lines of communications and another active role to build those partnerships and to build that engagement. And, and conversely, sending our partners, uh, our, our employees here to work with, with partners uh, at their location, be it in a, in a state emergency EOC, maybe one of our uh, FEMA integration team members working uh, at, a, at a state level. Those types of things during steady state uh, really do allow us to, to foster those partnerships. We also have the Resilient uh, Nation Partnership Network. Uh, this is a peer-to-peer -peer network that was founded uh, on leveraging knowledge and experience to, to advance uh, action around promoting natural hazard mitigation and other actions and expanding capacity uh, through those partnerships at the state and local level. That's, that's very important. Uh, it's important uh, in that project-based way for us to have that engagement and for us to have that partnership. Uh, another example is our, our Wildland Fire Mitigation and Management Commission, a partnership between our U.S. Fire Administration as led by Dr. Lori Moore Morell and, and FEMA to work together to develop recommendation for Congress about improving response and recovery, especially for those post wildfire events, as, as well as developing mitigation and, and management recommendations. These are just some of the few examples and, and more recent examples of what has really been decades-long ongoing efforts uh, to have everyone at the table and to build these relationships and foster a stronger, more resilient nation. Uh, but it takes action. 
It takes action. It takes effort on the part of all partners uh, to come together and to build that capability before it's needed most. You know, it's interesting because uh, I do want to s- continue on the local governments and 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 how you're working with them. How can, in your mind, from what you're doing, Eric, how can local governments most effectively position themselves to respond to emergencies? And and how do you get the message out that FEMA is there to support local authorities and not some agency that swoops in uh, 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 to save the day single-handedly? Yeah, again, um, ideally, those relationships at the state, local, tribal, and territorial level um, whether it be uh, here at headquarters or through our regional administrators uh, or more locally uh, through the FEMA integration st- teams embedded with the states, all of that work is happening at a preparedness level. Um, and preparedness really is key. You know, b- there are a number of active members in emergency management associations uh, that meet in a structured way. Uh, but there's also uh, ongoing and active ba- uh, active uh, work uh, between our regions and the states and the more local communities on an everyday basis. Uh, those are very active relationships. Those aren't just uh, come in after an event and and start building. And and one of the things, one of the best things that local governments can do and that they do in partnership uh, with their states and their regions uh, really is planning at a local level. Um, that address those specific concerns in that community, those those risks in that specific community to ensure that everyone is is prepared as possible. After planning is exercising that planning, uh, exercising and and having that plan really become second nature uh, will help response during any event uh, and ensure cohesion in in our unified approach. And you know we've got. We've got a lot of outreach that happens through our external affairs officers and our intergovernmental affairs officers, uh, both at headquarters in the region, so that these relationships and these coordinating calls uh, are something that are that are secondhand, that 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 are active and ongoing at any given time. Um, during an event, we obviously have our national response coordination centers. The regions have uh, their regional response coordination centers, and that's where we bring together physically in person our partners uh to work any given issue and 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 have tremendous connective tissue with state emergency operations centers and and on down the line uh and that is working well but another community effort that that we have seen be very effective is our community emergency response team what is historically been referred to as certain and this is a program that that educates volunteers about disaster preparedness uh, the hazards that that may occur in their community, and we've got a lot of information on our FEMA.gov uh, website about that, and we make sure that this messaging and this technical assistance uh, that you were asking about um, is is done very closely with the states and and by extension local governments to to mitigate and address and prepare for disasters, and that's that's a key part of what we do. That's a key part of our mission, uh, and I think that you know. Uh, that allows us to execute um, as as disasters really are locally executed, state managed and and federally supported. That's wonderful, Eric. You know, I was wondering as I was putting this together, how how does FEMA capture and use lessons learned from every emergency response? What processes are in place to ensure that, you know, that valuable institutional knowledge of the agency is used 
to continually enhance the operational performance of the agency and its people. Yeah, no, conti- continuous improvement is is uh, it's super important. Um, and I would say that that not only is it important for FEMA, but I think that it is a uh, discipline well used across uh, the emergency management, uh, the emergency management enterprise. Our agency regularly reviews and updates procedures based on lessons learned uh, from various different events. Uh, they're embedded with our National Response Coordination Center, with our Regional Response Coordination Centers. They deploy with our operators. Uh, and we put out after action reports, after events uh, that provide an opportunity to reflect on what went right, uh, what some of our development points are, what we learned, how we can change that the next time. And that's done through our continuous improvement uh, technical assistance program. And, and that builds preparedness through consistent agency-wide assessment, program consultation and support, and, and, and corrective action taken after we've learned from that event. That's important, and I was just thinking to myself, you, you know, when you're when you're inundated with data in the aftermath of di- of disasters, Eric, how does how does FEMA attempt to make meaningful information from such so much data that they collect, and, and are you using or advancing the use of data analytics to meet mission and enhance agency response? Yeah, so FEMA does collect a lot of data. Um, we before events, during events, after events. So it's it's true, and it, it's utilized in a variety of different ways across our program areas, uh, depending on focus. We also collect a lot. Uh, obviously, data is part of registration following a disaster. Uh, and I think that earlier, when I was talking about advancements in technology and AI uh, and information management, so is that the case. Uh, with data. And so we've got to have the systems and the tools and the processes and procedures in place to ingest that, uh, to manage it, to share it, to make sure that it's actionable and visualized, but also that we're protecting it from a privacy perspective and that all of the cyber and information security mechanisms are in place so that when disaster survivors apply for assistance with FEMA, uh, it doesn't create another vulnerability for them. So we're doing all of those things. We're advancing uh, in all of those areas. Uh, within the mission support space, more specifically, uh, we use the data to inform our decision-making uh, and to, to refine our support to the customers. It allows us to target every after-action report on, on what has and hasn't worked uh, goes through a review and implementation process from IT upgrades in the fields and so on. And so that data becomes a, a big part of, of what we do and how we manage it. Um, we, we now have executives who, who have teams that are focused exclusively on our data collection, our data security, our data management, and, and the use and the sharing of that data so that what we are collecting is truly valuable to the mission and ultimately to the disaster survivor. Eric, we talked a lot about what your what FEMA does and what your um, uh, the mission support area does for FEMA. I, I'd like to sort of delve into um, the, the mechanics of accessing or getting help from FEMA. And where I'm going with this is when most people think of FEMA, they immediately focus on response and recovery. And I was wondering if you could share some examples of how mission support, your area, helps with mitigation and preparedness efforts. 
So mission support, as I mentioned, as as the lead enabling function for the agency partners with the bigger parts of our external facing parts of the organization routinely and regularly, and and particularly with your question, um, resilience and our preparedness efforts. An example is our risk and analysis uh, management, what has been referred to as RAM mission supports. Uh, Mission support uh, really does focus on those IT services and support of the National Flood Insurance Program and provides uh, that online method to to reference and update the NFIP maps, which define floodplains throughout the U.S. and its territories. RAM also supports the Risk Management Directorate, uh, flood mapping services, and, and utilizes uh, RMS to assess flood risk and provide planning and outreach support to communities to help them uh, take action and, and to reduce or mitigate the risk that's presenting themselves. That's an example of of a really integrated program and plan between mission support and and uh, our resilience organization. But uh, another one is is our um, uh, in 2021, uh, the Infrastructure Job Act provided FEMA with you may remember a, a good deal of funding to tackle the climate crisis and strengthen the nation's resilience, including. Uh, a variety of of underserved communities that that really were most vulnerable. And and through that program, we've been able to work with the hiring managers to conduct outreach events and hire employees with specialized skill sets to assist with hazard mitigation projects and dam safety, flood mitigation assistance, and, and so much more. And to date, um, we've supported various job fairs and hired uh, a, several hundred infrastructure job act positions focused on mitigation and and preparedness efforts. Uh, another one we've talked a little bit about uh, is our contract support. Our procurement organization continually works with our FEMA customers, uh, the programs, our partners, uh, and the public to identify best business solutions and and meet organizational needs by supporting market analysis and negotiating those cost-effective and timely contracts uh, to deliver acquisition services, uh, again, in support of preparedness and mitigation. Some additional areas where we've had tremendous contract and acquisition support, again, our National Flood Insurance Program, our National Exercise uh, Division, uh, risk map work, uh, our integrated public warning system that I mentioned earlier, uh, and many others that that help maintain our steady state functions uh, and responsibilities of the agency kind of outside of that preparedness and, and resilience space or the response and recovery mission. So, you know, recognizing each each disaster is a singularity of sorts that that each hurricane has its own unique path and consequential impact and that there is no real earthquake season. I was hoping you could walk us through the key steps and process that gets FEMA involved and activated to uh, to provide assistance. And what are some of the key actions that comprise a disaster relief and emergency response action? Yeah, I mean, any any disaster, uh, whether it's a natural disaster that we see coming or something that sort of abruptly appears and, and has to be dealt with. Uh, requires a great deal of of flexibility and fluidity. Uh, Disasters are declared uh, through the Stafford Act declaration process. That's that's the purpose of the Stafford Act. Uh, Governors or or leaders of 
federally recognized tribes uh, request a disaster declaration when their internal resources uh, will not suffice uh, for that disaster. That request is sent to the president, uh, who can issue an emergency declaration uh, of major disaster. Uh, And these declarations uh, are what make federal funding available to address uh, a disaster. We have a well-codified, well-designed, well-exercised and resource process for that uh, within our regions and here at headquarters. Uh, It's also well-practiced and exercised uh, with the states and with the tribes as well so that they know what to do and when to do it. Um, We're not just sitting back in receipt mode. Uh, We've got a tremendous amount of engagement up front in the lead up to an event uh, to help and to partner with states and tribes uh, so that everyone is prepared to take action uh, and to the particular type of action that they need to take when the time comes. This has been a great conversation. There's one last question. It's more advice. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Well, my first advice, Michael, um, and and I do get that question uh, a great deal. My, My first advice is do it. It's an honorable career. It's an admiral career. The country needs you. I encourage uh, anyone who is even open to having that conversation uh, to consider helping people and working uh, for and on behalf of the American people. Uh, it's ex- it's extraordinarily rewarding. Uh, it's gratifying. It's a tremendous opportunity uh, to make a big public impact, to give back, to uh, involve yourself and contribute in a way uh, to make meaningful change on the future of our country, uh, on on behalf of the mission of an agency, one as as tremendous as, as ours here at FEMA, and to do so in a way that provides for those critical uh, core services uh, that a government provides and, and to be part of that. So uh, I think the first response is do it, and then uh, let's talk about where your skill set is, where you fit in, uh, and to get you plugged in uh, so that you have the ability uh, to contribute and give back in that meaningful way. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Your passion for the mission of FEMA, is, it comes through loud and clear. But more importantly, Eric, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Michael, thank you so much for that. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today and to answer these questions. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Eric Leckie, Associate Administrator for Mission Support at FEMA. Be sure to join us next time for another informative insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.